Well, thank you, everybody, so much for joining us. It is Sunday, the Tuesday, the 23rd of June, 2009, time-bending extraordinaire. Sorry about the Sunday show. Uh, Christine and I made the rather, uh, I think technically you would call it unwise decision to go to a resort with uh, a newborn, which is a great way of spending a lot of time looking for places to feed and change her that aren't convenient and uh, leaving everything that you need either in the room or in the car or technically anywhere but where you are. And so we we ended up uh, coming back a little early. Um, it was uh, beautiful. Well, it was nice weather, but um, we didn't get too much of a chance to enjoy it because Isabella has on a very tight sleeping schedule because we're sleep training her. So she's up for two hours, down for an hour and a half. And then when she wakes up, she has to feed. So the amount of time that you can spend not uh, in your room. Uh, basically, we were like newlyweds. Anyway, but this is more the aftershot of newlyweds than the before shot. Or as you can find on many places on the Internet, I believe, the during. So that was uh, an aborted <laughs> Father's Day outing that um, was uh, um, a good idea at the time, as Mike Bat thinks. So, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this is uh, sorry that there was no Sunday show, but um, it is uh, uh, great to be chatting with you again. And uh, uh, just a last uh, thank you out to those who've sent kind notes and uh, best wishes to the uh, barbecue weekend extravaganza decathlon. Uh, we really appreciated everyone coming up. It was absolutely our joy and our pleasure to host you all. It was truly wonderful to meet you all and uh, to. To feel the love, frankly, which is a beautiful bath to be in. So that's it for me. That's it for updates. Uh, anything particularly new? I did a nice little series on happiness, which you can find on YouTube. I bought, I cracked down my Scottish Reserve uh, and uh, cheap cheapness innately, and I bought a pretty good high-def camera because I was getting kind of tired of uh, loading either low-def or I had a high-def camera. Uh, I ended up uh, returning it because... Uh, it didn't uh, sync the audio and didn't have an external mic jack, so we're all set for good video now, and uh, that's going to release me to do even more. I have uh, three or four podcasts in the can, uh, four or five actually, but I'm having a little trouble finding the time to, <laughs> to upload them, so I hope that I will get to that tomorrow. Thank you for your patience. They're coming. Um, what camera did I get? Uh, I got a JVC... HD Averio, the, uh, the, um, the uh, serial name is GZHD30. It comes with a 30 gig uh, hard drive. It does 1920, I think it is, by 1080. Uh, the colors are fantastic. I haven't found really great settings for the camera aspect of it yet, but it, it is the cheapest camera that has an external mic jack. Uh, it retails for $799. I found it for $699, and then I haggled them down to $649. And that was about as good as uh, as I could get it. So that is um, uh, uh, that is a, a really good uh, a really good deal. So it has three sort of modes of recording. Uh, they're all. I was hoping to get a camera that did 720p. Oh, look at all the people falling asleep who aren't technically inclined. <laughs> I'll keep it brief. I promise. Um, I was hoping to get a 720p camera that has an external mic jack because YouTube is 720p, but there is no such animal that I could find, and I could not find a camera that did both 1080 and 720 and had an external mic jack. 
So uh, it seems to have solved it for the most part. But the problem now, and there always is a problem, right? It's inevitable that when I upload the raw 1080p footage to YouTube, it does convert the video, but the audio goes crackly. So if we have any uh, audio uh, visual experts out there about any way to to suggest that I might be able to, uh, I'm loading it on the lowest uh, level of uh, uh, throughput uh, up to YouTube, and I get crackling. You can see that on my little video about Michael Batnarek and the debate that I'll be having in Philadelphia in not two weeks from now. So if you have any uh, tips on that, I would appreciate it right now. I'm running it through a, uh, a conversion process to 720p and uh, uploading it to YouTube then. I'd really like to skip that step. So if anybody knows anything more, that would be fantastic. So, uh, and again, uh, all of this hardware comes out of the highly generous pockets of the donators, and uh, I think it is time to have uh, to up the uh, video quality uh, using the Sony 640x480 camera that I got about five years ago. Does not seem to be cutting it anymore. <laughs> so, uh, especially since YouTube went high def and widescreen, it does seem a little primitive. Uh, it's one step up from a flip book of stick figures that you used to draw in your books if you were over 40 or 35 at least. So thank you, everybody, for your patience so much. Let's do the intelligent thing and turn the show over to you, the delicious and delightful listeners, since um, this is supposed to be your show. Hi, Steph. It's Tess here. Oh, hi. How's it going? Um, it's going very well. I'm now nervous as hell. <laughs> right. I feel, I feel like philosophy is about to just get very real for me. Well, that's uh, that's good, and that is usually a time of breathless excitement and occasional bedwetting. At least that's been my experience, so I <laughs> do appreciate that. Well, uh, and I just wanted to say that I've really, really appreciated uh, and uh, enjoyed uh, thoroughly your contributions uh, uh, on the board. Uh, I don't think I've run across you more than once or twice in the chat room, but uh, you have a, a very graceful and empathetic style of communication, which I really uh, appreciate and admire. So I just wanted to thank you for for those contributions. Well, thank you very much. That's uh, that's very high praise coming from you. And uh, FDR is um, probably the most amazing website that I've ever encountered in my uh, 20 odd years of using the interweb. So uh, right wow. back at you. That is, uh, <laughs> that is extraordinarily high praise. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much. So, um, so let's see if you can sort me out. All right. <laughs> I, uh, I wanted to talk it, about... Let's take it away. I wanted to talk about moral certainty and anger. Sorry, did um, you say moral certainty or more certainty? Moral certainty. And sorry, you just sound a bit muffled, and that's probably because you are speaking from inside a whale. Is that right? Um, or did I misread that? You're either inside a whale, thus or proving... Or in whales. Uh, you're in <laughs> whales. Oh, sorry. So you're in more than one whale. You're in pod. Okay. You've, you've probably never heard that joke before, and I'm certainly proud to make that. So sorry. I've never heard that joke before because I've only been living in Wales for a very short period of time. So <laughs> congratulations. You are the first person. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take that as slightly less high praise than you were providing. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so take it away. Um, so, you know, I, I, I came to FDR and, and got, you know, thought, about, thought it was just another libertarian, selfish libertarian website. <laughs> and, uh, you know, into property rights and all that kind of stuff. And I can't remember how I stumbled across it in the first place, but I quickly discovered that um, I was uh, reacting to posts with um, 
well, I just couldn't deal with some of the moral certainty that I was um, seeing. And my reaction was to try and drag everyone back to uncertainty. Right, and, sure. Uh, and then, of course, someone pointed that out. I, I think I heard it in a podcast where you described where that might come from. And uh, and I started down the spiral staircase to kind of fig- going backwards into my mind to find, figure out where the hell this this feeling came from and came to the conclusion that um, the certainty in my mind was leading to the potential was there that it was going to lead to judgment against me and Mm. that judgment might lead to domination of my will by force. So there was a panic there. Whenever anybody was certain, it was always going to, I mean, especially irrational certainty, which I didn't really make the distinction before I came to FDR, but there was just certainty that was going to eventually lead to someone bullying me to accept what someone else believed, possibly by force. Right. So that results in me dragging people back to uncertainty as much as I can. So then I started thinking, well, what in my childhood is going to uh, cause this kind of reaction? Of course, I didn't have to look very far. Um, In fact, podcast. 363 and 364, The Joy of Anger, which um, I don't know if you remember that one, but um, it was almost perfectly describing my situation in my childhood with a narcissistic mother who's hypocritical and irrational and tries to control and dominate and, you know, how it goes. My purpose was just to make her look good. Nothing, nothing that I could, no rational argument I could ever make would ever um, defeat her points. I mean, never convinced her of anything ever. Not one time did I ever change her opinion, even today. Um, and then, of course, this was all imposed um, with the backup of force from my father. And if I ever was angry about my mother's irrationality um, and her selfishness and the hypocrisy I just saw in her, um, the way she would talk to people outside the family and then she would turn around and immediately this mean face would turn on me and I would get the full force of her disapproval and um, so anger is not allowed if I express anger I'm sent to, sent to my room and then if I upset my mother then my dad comes home and without any discussion with me he comes up and bursts into the room brandishing his slipper or in one case a belt and you know I'm cowering in the room in the corner of the room screaming for mercy and he's just dragging me back across the bed and, you know, ripping my underpants off and giving me a belting. And, you know, what can you do about that? Because there's just no way to react. Um, and then, you know, when I get older, he starts telling me that um, uh, it, once I got big enough that I might physically threaten my, my mom, he starts telling me that he'll throw me into the street if I'm ever violent. So, you know, it's OK for him to be me when I'm a child, but not OK for me to, as an adolescent to retaliate. And, and and that's the point where, you know, I start to want to kill him and I experience fantasies like you described in your in your podcast about wanting to smash their faces in with a baseball bat and you know, I can totally identify with that. And 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 by the time you six I was sixteen, I was just I was just totally numb and I was sitting on my bed and I couldn't feel anything and I was panicking. And that's when you learn self hatred because you're trying to find faults in yourself. Um, because admitting faults is the only way to regain privileges and affection in the family. And and then, you know, I 
ended. I have a younger brother, two years my younger, and I saw myself as standing up for him in some ways and directing the force of my mother's irrationality away from him and got upset with him when he wouldn't back me up um, and because he was afraid of my anger and, and, you know, I ended up redirecting this towards him as, you know, I bullied him a few times. I've got no idea what kind of effect that's had on him, to be honest. Um, we're still on relatively good terms, but I'm sure that it must have done some damage. So I, you know, I, I just think back through this and I, it makes it obviously very clear why I have the issues around moral certainty because I'm not allowed to have moral certainty. I'm not allowed to have anger. I'm not allowed to have moral certainty. Only other people are allowed to be morally certain. Um, right. And I'm supposed and yet to tolerate not moral, everything. Right? And yet not moral, no. Right. I'm so um, sorry. I mean, what a, I won't interrupt you because I have a question or two and I want you to keep going. And I've just, what a, uh, it's, it's an absolutely terrible and terrifying and horrifying story. Um, obviously, you're not alone. I mean, there's not everyone, but some people in the community have gone through just such uh, assaults, right? I mean, there's uh, people say it's punishment or spanking or whatever, but it's a, it's uh, it's it's a, a rank, violent, overbearing assault upon a helpless. And of course, I, I'm blamed for it all, right? So of course, it's, yeah. it's 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 you were doing it. You're it, we tried the best. You know, you've heard all this millions of times. We tried the best we could. You were so difficult. We couldn't do anything. You know, you didn't conform to our will. We beat you, and now we're going to blame you. Right. Or anything that, that results from that. And and even today, no no remorse whatsoever. The, the slightest kind of, we're sorry that you're hurt, but, you know, we're not going to change. Right, um, right. And, and of course, and, people who will assault a child in such a terrifying and brutal and violent manner are not likely to develop empathy or remorse or guilt later on, right? Any more than somebody whose arm is bitten off by a shark is likely to have it regrow later in life, right? Right, right. And um, so I, I, um, I mean, with this in mind, I, I have to ask myself, you know, why am I still talking to these people? Um, because if this was anyone else in my entire life, I would have cut them out immediately from my, from my, from my life. They wouldn't have nothing to do with, with anything that I had anything to do with, you know, and I've cut people out of my life before for far less than this. And yet for some reason they get a free pass to continue their stupid, um, petty abuses like you know just just the other day i was talking on my phone and i i thought talking on the phone to my mum, and i kind of see it as a challenge somehow it's 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 um i see it as a challenge to get through a conversation without getting angry or being upset about something i don't know why i see it as a challenge that's another outflowing of the self-attack that I have to prove that I can manage this I can't walk away from it I have to prove that I can manage it and I was telling her that I was trying I was considering um, signing up for a uh, counseling stroke psychotherapist course and that it was really important to me and it was like the thing that I wished I'd done earlier in life and now I have something that I can really put my um, passion into after a first half of my career in IT and my mum first thing she says is oh so now you'll have to learn how to listen to people Uh (laughs) holy crap where did that come from and um and i just think uh, how can 
I, I recovered and I asked with her a bit at the end of the conversation. And I said, you know, I was really upset when you said that. And and she backed down a little bit and said, well, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. I, and she kind of went into a bit of tears because she was upset that she'd upset me. Um, well, you know, I don't think she's really upset, but she doesn't like the idea that she has that sentimental attitude that we should all be happy families and that's really important to her. So any kind of disturbance to that is is going to provoke her to to, to waterworks. Um, and so she, she pulled back a bit and she said, well, I didn't mean I didn't mean it like that. All I meant was that you didn't have to use that kind of skill in, the, in your in your first career. So this is like new skills for you. Yeah. <laughs> you fucking did not mean that when you said you, what you were saying was you never listened to me or you never conformed to what I wanted you to be. And now you're going to have to listen to me. Because you're going to have to, you're going to be trying to be virtuous as a therapist, <laughs> right? Right, like, or, or of course, saying that that you're the you're the narcissist, right? I'm the narcissist, yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, um, of course, you'll learn all about projection as you, if you don't yeah. know it already, you'll learn all yeah. about that as you go um, forward. So I I start thinking about well, I I have to I have to get out of this because I can't accept this going on. It's just it's just not right. And the more I understand about virtue and objective morality, uh, the more I see that this is completely untenable in my life. And that the reason I've put up with it before now is just because I that was my defense mechanism was uh, relativistic. You know, I'm as bad as they are. Um, I uh, I would be hypocritical to cut them out of my life because I've done wicked things. You know, I bullied my younger brother and I'm the one who's always getting angry. I'm the one who's always aggressive. And therefore, what right do I have to push them out of my life and say, I'm superior to you and I have a proper moral background basis for my action and you don't and you should change and stop telling me that I should change. I mean, what? So this is where the moral certainty comes in because I don't feel like I can really grasp the, and internalize this moral certainty. I don't know where it comes from. And the only place I've really felt that I can derive that moral certainty from is just pure out-and-out anger. When, when you know, I'm thinking about the memories of of what my dad did and I'm thinking about various incidents that all through my life and I can really build up a huge steam of anger about it and in those moments then i can kind of understand that i am i am right i am morally justified in 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 cutting them out but it, it is really hard to maintain and um i'm not sure if i would have if i would be able to sustain it for long enough to actually go through with with a with a defu yes no i i totally understand it's a it's a huge huge question and I mean, you're wise to ask it up front for sure, because if the only way that you can gain moral clarity is through an extremity of anger, then freedom from your family would mean a lifetime of extreme anger. And that doesn't seem much like freedom at all, right? Right. I mean, the the anger is is mostly the extreme anger only comes up when I'm in interactions with my with my family. But there is a huge imprint in my mind that is triggered by similar incidents. Um, sorry, so my, sorry, I wasn't particularly clear. What I meant, if I understood what you were saying, then you were sort of saying that uh, uh, you feel 
that the moral certainty about the abuses that you suffered uh, only occurs when you really think about the incidents and feel very angry, right? But then when you right. aren't focusing on those incidents, you feel less moral certainty, right? Right. And uh, yes. so you, you can't my, stay uh, that angry and focus only on the pain and abuses that you've suffered for the rest of your life. So you need to find a way to have that moral certainty without, okay. in a sense, yeah. refocusing yeah. on the traumas again. Yeah, totally, yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Can you tell me a little bit more, uh, and I will come back to that, I'd just like to get a bit more of a sense of, of the, the shape and the history. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about the irrationalities that your mother was uh, was prone to? And how they how they showed up and what the arguments were um, that put forward. Yeah, well, one one example that immediately comes to mind. I mean, they they seem you know in individual instance they seem almost laughably trivial, but they were they just went on and on and on. Um, one I remember very clearly was about bedtimes, and I always had um, very early bedtimes relative to my friends. And uh, I never felt tired when I was sent to bed. And my mum would say, you're tired, go to bed. And I would know full well that, I, A, I wasn't tired. And B, she was tired. And what she was really saying to me was, I'm tired, you go to bed. But she would never be honest about saying that. It was always my problem, my fault. And she would never, you know, I would, I would have been fine if she'd said, okay, you're right, I am tired and I need you to get out of my space. Um, but that was not, not never what happened. It was, you're tired, you go to bed. And, you know, I would, I would argue that I'm not tired and if I go to bed, I'll just end up not sleeping and then I will be tired. <laughs> and, um, and that would then just come to a battle of wills, as they always did. Um, and there were, every argument would end up with, um, uh, the logical conclusion of um, I don't care if you're right, you're still wrong which was her favourite phrase um, so I could spend as much time as I liked trying to um, trying to rationally work my way through where she was coming from um, but at the end of the day it never made any difference um, and, uh, so another example would be that she would, um, I remember distinctly when I was very young and this was probably the first time I ever saw hypocrisy, um, if not irrationality was, um, when she answered the door to someone and she'd been in a bad mood and then suddenly she was all smiles and cheery and everything was wonderful for the person on the doorstep. And then as soon as the door shut, she turned around and there was a smile on her face. And as she looked at me, it vanished immediately. And suddenly this mean person was back. And that was the first time I saw that, you know, there was a um, huge hypocritical streak about one face for outsiders and one face for inside. And of course, there was numerous occasions where I had to perform for people that I knew that my mother did not like because she wanted to impress them. And she would say in private, oh, I hate this woman. She's coming around to visit, but, you know, we've got to be nice. And I would say, well, why do we have to be nice if we don't like her? And it was, well, that's just what you do. And then I would try and rationalize how that worked. 
uh, you know, how, what was the logic behind, behind acting that way? Um, and so the hypocrisy would lead into the arguments about the rationality of the hip- hypocritical point of view. And that would then lead into just do what I say um, and definitely not do what I do. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, it would just escalate because I was the sort of person who just became hyper-rational to try and resist this control, which was just incessant. And the more she tried to control me, the more logical I got and the more intensely I was trying to argue and, and, and you know, it just repeated and repeated and repeated. Right. And of course, uh, it is depressing as hell when we are told that it is important to be nice to strangers and yet we are treated in a way that is vile and abusive when we are flesh and blood, right? Um, That, of course, makes so sense. She says, well, that's just what you do. You just are nice to people. And it's like, well, what's with how you're treating me, right? Yeah. Uh, So uh, was she mystical or religious? Uh, Was was it mostly social conformity? Were there other aspects of her rationality? It was hugely social conformity. Um, we did go to church, but she wasn't really very religious. It was just for the social side. Right. Okay. Right. And we were we were in the church choir, so we went quite regularly. But we didn't. I mean, I I saw huge hypocrisy in the church immediately by being there several times a week amongst a load of people who were there to show off their children in the church, and you know, and and that was it. That was the only reason that they were really there. Right. There was no sense of community or or intimacy or openness in in the um, in the church community. So you know, I was no, an, I was an atheist. Meet, uh, we can only meet in reality, right? We can't meet in fantasies yeah. of gods and ghosts. And <laughs> yeah, that's like saying, uh, "Hey, let's have dinner tomorrow night in your dreams." It's like we can't meet in your dreams, <laughs> right? We can only meet at a restaurant, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, your father. Um, I mean, obviously, the impression which uh, which he evokes in me is uh, of, uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's it's almost like Simeon, right? I mean, it is this level of anger and violence uh, and control. Well, he he's absolutely emotionally silent. I don't remember any time when I experienced any kind of emotion from him, apart from the kind of semi-controlled rage of coming in to beat me on my mother's behalf because I'd upset my mother. And his only influence on my life was really to enforce uh, or punish me for upsetting my mother. That was, that was what he did. Um, so um, would, would, she, would she provoke him to rage, which he would then take out on you, or was it uh, unconscious? So how did she get him to be this kind of brutal enforcer? Well, um, she, I would... I would argue with my mother and then she would um, send me to my room and burst into tears. And then, you know, I would wait for half an hour and then my dad would come home from work and I would hear him coming downstairs. And then I would hear my mum telling him what had happened and in a semi-hysterical tone of voice. And then I would hear him pound up the stairs and (laughs) feel the intensity of what was about to happen of course I had no option to or no ability to justify myself or you know it was immediately my fault oh sure Um, and uh, you know even even, I'm sorry go ahead um, so even last year for example when 
um, I was forced by threats of, you know, how can you do this to us to go on a um, family holiday reunion for my mother's 60th birthday. And uh, uh, we were we were heading out to Florida and, you know, I really didn't want to go because I knew I wouldn't be able to cope with them being back in control of my life effectively for a whole week. And uh, and and uh, I but I tried to get out of it. But, you know, my mum would say, oh, it's you know, it's really important to me. It's our 60th birthday. It might be the last chance we ever have to be as a family together. And, you know, all these guilt trips. <laughs> Sorry, that's like, really? You're not just saying that, are you? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, please. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then and then we would get it. We would book the flights, the plane. And I would say, well, I can't really afford to fly. Uh, premium economy i want to go coach class and she would say oh well we all want to go premium but we don't feel right going premium if you're not so please will you go premium with us <laughs> like, but i can't afford it i'm going to go coach and you know that was a huge deal and then of course after about a week after about four or five days of my mum being neurotic about nothing was ever right everything was worthy of panicking and and my dad just puts up with it and my brother just puts up with it and my sister-in-law just puts up with it and eventually I completely snap because I cannot stand this continuous barrage of neurotic, bitchy crap that comes out of her mouth. It's all self, self, self. And then she paints herself as a, as a martyr that, you know, she'll do everything for everybody and you owe me. You're, you should be grateful for all the things I'm doing. And if you're not grateful, then you're wicked. And so I just exploded and um, my uh, dad came up and stood next to my mum and looked at me with disgust on his face and then turned to her and said, come away, she's not worth it. And, and that's his entire contribution for parenting has been to tell my mother that, try to persuade her that I'm not worth the effort. So, you know, I'm pretty sure that um, if it was just my dad and, and me, then we would immediately stop communicating with no problems on both sides because I'm sure he dislikes me as much as I dislike him. Yeah, and of course, uh, it's hard to reconcile she's not worth it with, you know, beating you as a child, right? Um, well, I guess he came to the conclusion that she's not worth it after beating me didn't work. Yeah, yeah. Right. Now, can I, uh, I? I don't want to interrupt what you're what you're saying. I have a few questions and comments, but I certainly don't want to. Um, uh, uh, you have a lot to say, and it's really important stuff to to say and to hear. Uh, so, would you like to continue? And I'm certainly very, very happy to listen, of course. Or would you would you uh, prefer it if I asked a few questions or, or made a few comments? Um, I guess it's there's not much. There's, there's a little bit more that I wanted to. That I want to uh, just the consequences. I, I mean, I've been considering like what the consequences of defooing are, and, and maybe that's the thing that's. There's also stuff holding me back there, as well as just the need for moral certainty to do it. And you know, I've been trying to picture what would happen behind the scenes if I did it, and how they would react, and whether I cared how they would react. And you um, you will care. You will care. I mean, will I. I care? You know, you you will care. There there is um, there is a fantasy that that we all have when with regards to destructive people, particularly if they sadly happen to be our parents. There is this fantasy that we can um, that we can rise above it, that we can no longer care. 
that we can uh, that they can't hurt us, they can't affect us, that we we gain such a level of of understanding and moral certainty that they're sort of like mosquitoes flying into glass against us. We just we can notice it, but it doesn't <laughs> affect us. Uh, that's a, that is a complete fantasy. Uh, I understand mm. the fantasy, but it's a trap, right? Because what happens is we set that up as an expectation, and then they contact us and and then we're scared or we're angry and then we say oh they still control me and then we go back down again and right so so they will they 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 will for the rest of your life they will have a strong effect upon you that's you know attempting to 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 expect that to not be there is like expecting that you could somehow lose your knowledge of english right it's what you grew up with it's what you speak uh and you simply can't undo your history now that mm. that doesn't mean that they have to control or direct or harm your life in the future but you will always care about or have have a reaction let's just say have a very strong reaction to them and it's also important to know that because it also means that you will also have a strong emotional reaction to people like them that you will meet in the future and that can actually be very helpful right because it's like once we process this stuff we kind of get an allergy to evil and so we sort of sneeze, cough, and in my case, shed fur when we uh, when we get around uh, that. So so having that knowledge, I think, is really important. We never want to rise above our horror of evil, uh, in in my opinion, because that leaves us uh, too zen, too defenseless in the face of uh, of destructive people. So that, that's just my right. two cents about what you were saying right there. I just wouldn't want you to have that goal that you'll at some point be above it all and not care. And they can pass you by in the street and you'll just shrug. It's never going to happen. I mean, I haven't seen my mother in a decade, but if she knocked at my door, I'd probably crap my pants. Um, and she, she, I don't think about her that much. Um, I, don't, she doesn't, I don't feel that she influences my life very much uh, anymore, but I'm hardwired, right? Mm. So I, I think that was going to be my last question was, well, what does it look like afterwards? And is it worth it if if the damage never really goes away and if uh, no, someone no, else sorry comes along? just sorry let me let me just be really clear and i'm glad that you mentioned that uh, i didn't mean to say that the damage never goes away right uh, what i meant to say was that you will never not care or not have an emotional response to your parents okay but that does not mean that their effect upon you will forever be destructive or you will never escape that destructiveness you will for sure you know, with with the work and and the stuff that I always recommend to therapy and and a community of people who can help. Uh, so, but but what I'm trying to say is that you you know if you do separate from your family, and of course that is a decision that uh, is 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 something that is a decision that only you can make. And I strongly suspect, in fact, I'm almost certain that uh, that the decision has been made, uh, or that you do have that decision deep down in your heart. I just wanted you to not have the fantasy that you will not care about them or not react to them. Uh, you know, 10 years from now, if they walk into your place of employment, you will have a very strong emotional reaction to them. That does not mean that the destruction that they wreaked upon you will be continual for the rest of your life, whether you see them or not. I just sort of wanted to... And, and let me use a stupid medical analogy because <laughs> I like using those. Um... Uh, you know, when you get a cold, you develop an, an antibody to the cold. Yeah. And if you get exposed to that same cold virus, you know, 10 years from now, you won't get the cold, right? Because you already have the antibody. Right. Right. So your body 
is still it, it will have a strong reaction to a cold that you have ten, had 10 years ago if you encounter that same virus again, but you don't have yeah. a cold for 10 years. Does that make sense? Right. Because what I really want to do is just not it's not rein, it's not redirect this damage onto other people who don't deserve it. So I don't right, want because to that's do that's of course what your parents did to you, and uh, that that is of course uh, that is the most. Well, I, yeah. I want to be a force for for good in the world. I want to be able to help people, and I want to be kind to people, and I want to you know feel good about myself for doing that. And if these triggers, which are large and in really awkward places in my mind, come up repeatedly forever and never heal, then I'll never be able to be the person who I should have been. Right, right. Well, um, you you can be that person, right? You're already taking those steps by asking those basic questions. So all hail to you. Like, seriously, this is this is the moral magnificence that is so tough. And everybody wants, as I talked about in a recent video, like everybody wants these uh, superheroes or this, you know, someone's going to save the world and so on. But the morally magnificent courage that we need is to face down these evils in our own life. And, and the fact that you're taking those steps with the moral certainty that comes both from emotionality and from reasoning, mm-hmm. I think that is uh, something that, that you already uh, take your place in the rows of heroes and heroines in the world. I strongly, strongly believe that those who face down the evils within the family, uh, if those evils exist, are doing far more to help the world than anybody else combined, everyone else combined. It's bigger than the UN, it's bigger than UNESCO, because those people are all dealing with the effects of bad parenting, so to stare it down, to end the cycle of abuse within your generation, is the most magnificent moral stand that any human being can take. And I fully understand the fear, the weakness, the social disapproval, the social attack that you may receive from others, the stalking that some people receive from taking a break from these abusive uh, families. Um, This is staring down dragons. This is staring down Sauron. This is morally magnificent. And uh, it's uh, it's something that is, is, uh, is never talked about in terms of moral courage in the world. Right. Moral courage is always standing in front of a tank in Tiananmen Square. And I'm not saying that isn't moral courage, but uh, this is what we can do if we don't happen to be standing in front of a tank in Tiananmen Square. And I think it actually does far more good for the world to do what you're doing than um, lots of other things that are portrayed as, as sort of morally courageous. So I just want to put that up front, that, that you can't ever carve this medal off your chest once you start to look at these issues and deal with the the fear, the anxiety, the anger, the rage sometimes that comes up. You, you have that metal pinned to your chest, and it cannot come off. And so that is something I think you can walk proud and tall with for the rest of your life. So that's, that's one thing that I will sort of say uh, uh, up front. The second thing that I would say is that you had mentioned earlier, Tess, about that uh, you talked yourself into forgiving uh, your parents or saying, well, I hurt my brother and therefore I'm the same and, and this, that and the other, right? Yeah. And I would like to widen your perspective on that because I think it is not respectful of yourself to say that you made these decisions in a vacuum or on your own, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because you live in a culture where uh, where, where families are 
uh, to, to be worshipped and to be obeyed like slave drivers, regardless of their morality, right? And, yeah. and this is reinforced, obviously, in the church considerably, um, right? The, the, the parents give the children to the church so that the church gives them back obedient to the parents and the, parent, the, the church charges money for that service to break the children and make them permanent slaves of the parents, right? So, so you live in a culture uh, and in a social circle and in a religious environment where the family is a cult. Right? No matter what uh, your parents do, uh, it is your job to forgive and forget, to be bigger than they are, to empathize with those who did the opposite of empathizing with you, uh, to be kind to sadists, to be generous to thieves, to be gentle with abusers, right? Mm. That, that's how the slavery continues, right? This is how. Uh, and, and then because that's so humiliating and so enraging and we feel so broken down by all of that, we then will very often demand the power back that we lost so much with our own parents from our own children and lo, the cycle continues, right? So breaking that out, stopping it uh, now uh, by this examination is really, really healthy, really, really noble. But it's really important to remember that you're in a cultural context that has a huge bearing on the decisions that you make about these issues. Because if you think it's all just you making this stuff up, then when the cultural pressure comes on you, if you take the decision to defoo, I don't want that mm -hmm. to catch you by surprise. No, no, I've, um, uh, when I, when I realized for the first time I was considering this seriously, um, there was like this yawning chasm of consequences that, that opened up in front of me that just blew me away with what it would mean. I mean, I, I've heard other people talk about it and read about it and I just had no idea just what that would feel like when it suddenly becomes real. And, you know, I listened to all these other podcasts about people deferring and I thought that's something that someone else does. <laughs> and then I'm at the same chasm and it's, it's, it's simultaneously terrifying and awe-inspiring that anyone could do this because I know in my heart what a, I mean, when, when you said in On Truth, I think in the book, that this would complete this could destroy all your relationships or end all your relationships um i thought yeah okay <laughs> whatever but <laughs> right. I, he's I, just I being dramatic he's just being dramatic but i can't see any relationship in my life which would survive this kind of um pursuit of 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 moral virtue and uh and then i think well that's the way it should be because then you're able to start again with proper intimate relationships based on rational virtue and not these crappy, dysfunctional, mutually lying to each other shams that I've spent 38 years enduring. Right. And, and a more precise way of putting it, though it would not be quite as forceful writing, would be to say not that philosophy destroys your relationship, but philosophy reveals the truth about your relationships. And if your relationships are destructive. Right then philosophy will simply shine a light on that, right? Uh, but philosophy yeah. doesn't destroy relationships. It simply points out the truth about those relationships. And lots of people make that mistake, right? And they, they get mad at me. <laughs> you broke my relationships. It's like, no, 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 I just turned the light on, right? If there's a hole well, on the floor and you turn the light on, or you're not making the, the light doesn't make the hole. It just yeah. shows it, right? 
So uh, I like to get it that way because I wanted them to be destroyed, I guess. <laughs> well, no, it's not that you, I mean, they, they are, right? I mean, if in my, you know, again, as you know, this is all my caveats, right? This is my, uh, all my opinion, but I think it's backed up with some pretty solid reasoning and evidence that uh, it's not, I mean, you didn't want them to be destroyed because you would have much rather grown up with loving, tender, nurturing, and happy parents, right? You didn't sure. want to be in the situation where you had to face the Nero jump across this canyon, right? <laughs> yeah. So you didn't want them to be destroyed. But I do get a sense that there's a sort of Bodicea firmness or resolution within you that uh, has the courage to look at what the light reveals and flinch but not cower, right? Well, you know, six-year-old me knew knew what right and wrong was um and it was crushed and crushed and crushed until it was a tiny little flicker and everything was relative and everything was my fault and then i come to fdr and here's this great big burning bonfire that says no you were right all along <laughs> like, right fuck yes fuck yes <laughs> <laughs> right 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 hey you you uh you crush enough dust uh, you get a diamond right Enough pressure and heat. So I wanted to mention that. Now, uh, as far as the moral certainty goes, because I want to make sure that, that we talk about that, because this is a very, very key issue. Uh, first of all, uh, to me, it makes perfect sense that you would come to a philosophy website and you would, you would see moral certainty that it would be both frightening and annoying and that you would attempt to undo it. To me, uh, that makes perfect sense because, of course, what are the odds that this philosophy website has recently uh, uh, solved the problem of ethics and certainty, right? As, and of course, that's my claim. Some people dispute it, but that's certainly my claim, which I, I stand by. And um, uh, th th there would be no reason to believe that um, some philosophy website run by some guy you've never heard of has solved the problem of the ages called ethics without God, ethics without government, and so on. So your skepticism uh, and and the way that you approach things made perfect sense to me. Uh, so I, you know, I applaud that skepticism as well. I think that's really, really important. And of course, it's great that the reason and evidence that were presented was that you were con you're open to consider it and so on, because we do, we all do want that certainty, but we don't want certainty to be dogmatic, aggressive, abusive, or dismissive. We want certainty to be rooted in reason and evidence, not rooted in bigotry and emotional defenses, right? So I think... That skepticism makes perfect sense, and I think you should respect yourself for that and also respect yourself for listening to the reason and evidence and listening to your heart and your inner six-year-old about the certainty that is needed for happiness in the world. So I just wanted to, to, to sort of mention that. But as far as the certainty, you, I just wanted to return to this point. Maybe you can tell me a little bit more about it. You say, when I remember the past and the abuses that were committed and the assaults that were committed against me, I get angry, and with that anger comes moral certainty. And it's, if I remember rightly, you're concerned that if you defoo and then you, you don't think about the past abuses, you will lose that moral, cer moral certainty and be consumed by doubt or regret or self-attack and be open to manipulation because you would have lost that sword, so to speak. I, um, I don't... I wasn't actually thinking about it like that, or that it was purely a case of, uh, I think it was more of a question, is it appropriate that 
I should generate sufficient moral certainty to do the defoeing, even if it doesn't last afterwards? Um, or is there a better way of doing it than using righteous anger? Um, is there a less aggressive burning way of developing the moral certainty? Because you do seem to have it all the time without too much anger. <laughs> and um, uh, and uh, I'm afraid that I would only ever have it in the midst of, because I've been conditioned so much to be looking for a way to be concessionary and looking for a way to be tolerant of people who are rationally uh, certain, then it's very hard for me to ha hold on to my own certainty um, because that was that was the thing that I'm just I'm just conditioned not to accept that in myself. So I'm not sure how long I could. I'm sure I could hold on to it long enough with anger to defu, um, and I don't think that I would refu afterwards if that went away. But of course, it's not just about defuing; it's about the whole rest of my life and holding on to the moral certainty with all the other relationships that I ever pursue as well. Right. Right. Well, let me ask you then. Uh a question which sounds simple but is not. Why, why do you want to do food? Um, I mean, it's an important question, right? If you're going to take this huge life step. Yeah. Right? You, you need to know why. And okay, I'm not saying it's one thing. I mean, it's only, I'm not saying it's only one thing, but, but what's your first thought about that? That question. Um, I think because it's um i would feel worse about myself having these people continue to be in a position of power over my thoughts and my life um and i think it would be a um a damaging influence that would prevent healing from taking place so if i didn't defu then it would just continue the way it's been continuing for forever until my parents die um and that to me has become unacceptable in the light of seeing um the sort of um uh, virtue virtue that uh, is um, exhibited by people on FDR. I, I, I just can't tolerate the idea of continuing the way that I've been continuing. That is both a very good and a very bad answer, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> right Now, it's very good because it's a fantastic essay. Right? And, and, and I certainly wouldn't disagree with any of the points that you've made, but it's very abstract, right? Well, I don't like the fucking bastards. That's another reason. <laughs> well, see that—that's what I was sort of—that's uh, what I was sort of asking, right? Yeah, I was hoping I would get to that bit, but they didn't connect. <laughs> and and there you did <laughs> relatively quickly, <laughs> right? But but I think I think that's important. I mean, yes, I agree with you about the harm to yourself and the and the the harm to your your future relationships and so on, right? But um, it if if you want the certainty, right? I mean. It, Certainty comes both from the emotional experience and from the language that we describe that emotional experience to us, right? Because we, we, we are so constituted that we need to describe things to ourselves 
in order to have certainty, right? Like we all know that murder is wrong, but we can't really make real sense of it unless we have a way of describing it to ourselves that is logical, right? And and makes sense and and sat- is satisfactory emotionally as well. And of course, that's the whole point behind UPB, right? That we all know that murder is wrong, but why? And and so that's you know sort of tried to come up with a way of of working with that. And it certainly is true that the the the, the, the wonderful essay question that that you provided about why, uh, which was all you know the subtle and psychological cause and effect and long term effects and and so on, uh, but. Uh, I think it's simpler than that. Uh, and, and I think all those other things are, are still true. But I think that when you're looking at a way of describing it to yourself, and, and that doesn't mean making something up, you know, like they're space aliens. They might be, but, <laughs> right? But uh, I don't mean making something up. Uh, but I, I don't like them is I loathe them. I hate them. I... I mean, in in a way, that's enough, right? Like, and and of course, <laughs> you hate them uh, or you dislike them uh, for entirely logical reasons and emotionally completely valid reasons. I mean, you wouldn't keep someone in your life who beat you up regularly now, right? Uh, no. You certainly, you know, if you have, uh, do you have, you don't have kids, is that right? No, I don't. Right. So if you have kids, uh, if you have kids and you had a babysitter who beat up your darling daughter or son with a belt, you would not only not have that babysitter back, you would press charges, I'm sure, and throw their abusing ass in jail, right, as best you could. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody said, well, why don't you rehire that babysitter? Be like, because she's like an evil bitch, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Not well, the consequences in the long term of... The babysitter vis-a-vis my child's emotional and psychosocial development, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, that's, and again, I'm, I'm sort of um, paraphrasing, obviously, for a comic effect, right? But, and I <laughs> don't mean to mock you, of course, right? But, but I think it's you know, where you seem to gain the most traction, and I think that that's quite right, is when you connect with the feelings, right? Because it is in the feelings that we gain the greatest degree of certainty vis-a-vis relationships, right? So I think that I would just stay down at that that gut level, right? I think that that's that's actually that's totally right, and I, I had kind of realised that, but it slips away from time to time in the huge mess of the whole situation. Because I remember, well, I remember by the time I was, I remember by the time I was eight, I knew that my mum was, you know, the antithesis of everything I wanted to be, and you know, she was trying to make me like her, and I spent the rest of my life trying to be the opposite, and uh, you know, hence the battle. Um, so I, I knew right from very early time that, that that these people were just were just not good <laughs> and uh, and yet you spend your entire life then trying to find a way of excusing that right 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 no and and you know someone asked me the other day who you know about my family and I said oh I don't I don't see them right and and they said well why not and I said well I don't like them Right. And then mm. uh, he said, well, what don't you like about them? And I said, does it does it really matter? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really does it really matter why why I don't like my parents? Like, yeah. I, I, I don't have to make the case to people. 
I don't have to convince them because I'm convinced. This is not a court, right? I don't have to provide evidence to myself or to others. So I just have to, no, I, and of course, if, you know, if I had to provide evidence, I would, you know, all of that kind of stuff, I'd give the examples and so on. But I don't, I don't, I don't like them as people. I don't respect them. I, I can't think of mm -hmm. a single admirable or honorable, honorable trait in the whole scurvy lot of them. So I don't like them. So I don't see them. You know, I don't like, um, uh, corn from a can. And so I don't eat it every day. Right. People say, well, why don't you eat corn from a can? I like it on the cob. I just don't like it in the can. So why don't you like corn? Why don't you eat corn on the can? I don't like it. Well, why don't you like it? It's like, does it matter? <laughs> I don't like it. And I'm not saying that you're at the place now where you can say, I don't like it because you're really uh, drinking deep from the cup of historical evil for the first time. So there's going to be a strong reaction and you're not going to be in the place 10 years later or whatever, right? That's just so you're, I mean, that's not, that's, that's the kind, that would be a kind of dissociation for you. Well, I just don't like them because it's stronger and more visceral for you than that as it damn well should be, right? Given what you suffered. But I think, I think it's really, if you want the certainty, just ask yourself, do I like them? Yeah. Do I want to spend time with them? Would I be happy to have them babysit my precious child? And then try not to get caught up in, well, I want them to, I want them to pay. You know, there's that trap, which then just means that I have to hang around and try and find a way for them to make them pay, which they're never going to do. They're never going to pay, you, you think? <laughs> well, they're never going to admit that they were wrong. Do you think that means they don't pay? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I get the impression that their sense of, of rightness would mean that they would just, that I would just be the, the bad child. And right. So if a guy who smokes two packs a day and gets lung cancer never admits that he smokes, he doesn't have cancer. Uh, I don't follow the analogy. Well, the, the act of assaulting a child, of bullying and manipulating a child, is so morally egregious. I mean, it is the greatest evil because it is out of that evil that all other more adult evils spring, right? And so the agony of what it is like to live in the skin of somebody who has brutalized a child is something that is hard to imagine, it's hard to comprehend. But they feel they were justified. Of they course, feel absolutely. They were entirely absolutely justified. They absolutely they do. And so what I'm saying is that, let's say there's a guy who smokes two packs of, right, two packs of cigarettes a day. The damage accumulates to his lungs. Whether he admits that smoking is bad or not, right? Yeah. Right, he can say, no, smoking is good for you, but it doesn't mm. have any effect on how the smoke is affecting his lungs, right? Mm. I can say that uh, arsenic is a wonderful chaser to a nice mouton cadet, right? <laughs> but that does not make it a wonderful chaser, unless I'm chasing death, to a wine, right? Mm. So I can say that what I did is not harmful, but that does not change how that sits within me. In fact, okay. all I've done is add another crime to my previous crimes, which is lying, 
and evasion, right? I mean, what do you think it would be like to be married to your mother? I mean, let's say you had to move in and, and sleep beside her every night and wake up with her every morning and come home to her again every night and then go to bed with her and sleep beside her every night for the next, uh, say, 40 years. Would you, would you view that as possibly the worst sentence you could ever impose upon anyone? <laughs> uh, yes, but... I, Do you have yeah, an enemy that, outside your family that you hate enough that if you could snap your fingers and pass that sentence upon that person to <laughs> have to live with your mother for the next 40 years, do you have an enemy that you hate enough outside your family that you would provide that sentence to them no, if you but could? My dad seems completely oblivious to that. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he seems completely oblivious to it. Do you know what it means that he's completely oblivious to it? Do you know what it means to his future, Tess? The fact that he is completely oblivious to it means only one thing, that he will never escape it. That's right. the price of obliviousness. that he will never get away. In fact, the more you hate your father, the more you should pray for him to continue to be oblivious and defensive and avoidant. Because the more he is trapped in this sick little prison. Okay. If he were no longer oblivious the vengeance that you want would cease to be. That's true. I'd hate it if he got better. <laughs> of course you would. Of course you would. Then, then he really would be escaping it. <laughs> yeah, fair point. So we don't, you know, it, it is people who don't understand the actions of the conscience, and I, I don't mean this, I don't mean by this you, but it's people who, who have been violated or wronged or brutalized by people as, when they were children, they have to invent avenging gods and devils and hell because they don't accept and understand that we don't die to go to hell, right? Mm. And if you really hated a guy who was a chain smoker and you wanted him to die a painful death. And again, I'm not talking about necessarily this with you, with your father, it's just an analogy. But if you knew a guy and you wanted him to die a slow and painful death and he was a chain smoker and he was of the opinion that smoking was good for you, would you want to change his mind? No. Of course not. You'd be like, hey, sail on, brother. I know what awaits. I'm not going to try and enlighten you. Because the primitive part of me that likes to taste the blood of my enemies is enjoying knowing where you're going. <laughs> now, the difference is you can enjoy smoking and then later you get sick, but that's not the case when you live with abusive, destructive people. Yeah, completely right. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, but the Lord is simply the conscience. And the conscience is just 
UPB embedded in the brain. Now, UPB is not something that is invented, it's discovered. Yeah. So you don't have to lift a finger. And if you really want to torture him, then um, uh, uh, leaving, um, right, is going to be uh, painful for him, right? Um, indirectly. Oh, sure. I, I Look, think I can, sorry, I, I thought, no, not indirectly, because your mother is um, a social metaphysician, right? Your mother is somebody who determines her value, in part, based on other people's view of you all as a happy family, right? Yes, and she'll be absolutely devastated, and my dad will have to deal with that crap. Right, right, right. So she will be exposed and humiliated, right? And uh, the questions will rise, and the gossip, right? I'm sure your mother is a gossip, and so now all the stuff that she did, now it will all come back to haunt her, <laughs> and, you know, it's, you know, it really is, you know, it's like taking, the defu is, you know, you get away, and the benefit is you pull a pin and throw it into the bunker, too. <laughs> Yeah. We don't have to lift a finger to make bad people suffer. We just have to be free. Because the moment that we're free, they are reminded that what they did and do is a choice. And that is agonizing, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's so damn beautiful. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. You know, uh, it is. And I, you know, there may be a point in in your life, in, in the future. Um, the degree to which my mother suffers is more than I would be comfortable designing if I had that power. Mm. Um, and, and But that's simply because... I mean, it's been a long time and, and all that kind of stuff, right? But, um, yeah, the, the degree to which they, they will suffer uh, is, uh, is, is incredibly significant. Uh, and I'm not saying that we want them to suffer. Of course, I don't want my mother to suffer. Um, what I wanted was a mother that, I, that did not end up having to suffer this way. What I wanted was a nurturing, loving mother, but that's not what I got, right? Yeah. So I don't want my mother to suffer because that would be sadistic. But given the evils that she's done, I do take some comfort in the fact that uh, the suffering exists. Right. Yes. Those were the major points that I had. Um, and of course, I've, you know, as usual, loaded up the cannon of thought and pointed it <laughs> your head. <laughs> what is a, what uh, what do you get uh, out of of what it is that I'm saying? I mean, is is there is it useful? I guess first of all, foremost, uh, and um, is there is there you know massive gaping stuff that that remains un unexpressed or untalked about? Uh, it was extremely useful, and um, I think the major question was on the moral cer certainty, just to be aware that I don't like these people. I think that was key, um, and. Um, that's where that's where it all flows from. Um, I'm going to take. Uh, sorry, was there anything else you wanted to add just now to that? No. 
All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take one more swing at something that I remain discontented about in my communication, which may mean that I'm completely wrong, right? Or it may mean that, that there's a good reason to remain discontented. I'm still okay. stuck on this point that I think we haven't quite met uh, on, which is that you feel angry. You feel the anger might sustain you through the defu, but after the defu, you might feel less angry, and then you may lose your resolution. Um, I don't, I don't think that's a problem for me. I just wanted to, I just, I just wanted sufficient, sufficient, um, drive to reach the point where I was sufficiently moral, morally certain that I wouldn't, um, get caught up in, um, all the, uh, consequences, you know, the feeling that um, I have failed by doing this and I've become the very essence of everything I swore that I would prove to them that I wasn't. And, you know, I don't want to get caught up in that. Um, so I figured that the anger was the, the way to achieve that. And I didn't really care whether the anger went away again afterwards. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Then, then, then we're fine. I won't, uh, I won't, uh, launch my carefully crafted metaphor because because <laughs> okay. there's nothing to hit so no that's that's great and uh, um how, how do you feel uh, at the beginning of the call you felt uh, nervous you obviously expressed some anger which i completely respect and understand you had uh, a little bit of nervous laughter at some point and and how is it that you're feeling uh, how are you feeling now that we're at this point in the conversation i um um i'm feeling relieved that i managed to express what I wanted to express and that it was understood <laughs> and that there was a solution and I'm uh, I feel God, it's quite overwhelming the sense that there's a way a, a step forward that I can take Right. It's a huge liberation. It's a beautiful place, this uh, FDR thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it, it really is. It is an oasis, you know, in a in a crazy-ass, befogged, confusing, bit of a shit planet, right? I mean, it is a bit of an oasis, right? And Yes. And that, I mean, Absolutely. that's, yeah. I mean, I have obviously some part of that. And, you know, it's the community <laughs> and the listenership as a whole. And, of course, the courage of people like yourself. But it is... Uh, Pretty freaking unique, and uh, I uh, think that's something I we can no all be very proud of. What I, was, I had no clue what I was walking into when I arrived at FDR. No clue at all. Right. And then, you know, the first thing I hear is people talking about, oh, well, it's this cult, and I'm like, what are they talking about? <laughs> like, <Right>. okay. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. And I mean, and, and those people are actually doing quite a bit of, of service to, to philosophy, right? Because... If people are so um, uh, insecure or self-doubting or easily goosed that the allegations of nasty little people are going to be what makes their decision, then this is not a good place for them anyway, right? So it's it's good that we have those people kind of diverting those people from wasting time and resources. <laughs> yes. You know, if you can't open the door to the gym don't go in the gym. You know, that's, I think, really important because there's no weight that's lighter than that door handle, right? So 
if you can't, if you're frightened to open the door, then don't go into the gym. And so we, we don't have all these people crowding up the machines who can't lift any weights. So I think that is actually a good thing, uh, though I'm not necessarily sure. I'm, I'm not particularly thrilled about the way it all shook out, but the end result of it has been uh, a very positive thing. And uh, what, uh, and I said, I don't mean to put you on the spot, and you can certainly tell me that this is not a relevant question or, or an appropriate question, but uh, what, is your, what does your heart say in terms of, uh, in terms of what's next? Um, I have a... Um, I, I, I think I, um, I have a problem in that I, I'm not sure how, how I'm going to have this conversation out of the blue. It just seems strange to have this conversation out of the blue with my parents, or it will probably be with my mother. Uh, which and conversation? The conversation about, um, I want to take a break from you and, um, because it will seem to seem to her to be completely random and it will come across as more dramatic and more painful. And why is it that you need to, uh, sorry, why is it that you need to have that conversation? Why do I need to have that conversation? Yeah. I'm not saying you do or don't. I'm just, you seem very certain about that. That's the, and I'm, I've always that's asked, the you step know. to take. Yeah, and I'm, um, I'm always one to ask why, not because I have any criticism or disagreement, not that that would mean anything particular, but uh, so why, why are you certain that that's the next step to take? Because if I don't have that conversation, then I will just continue to slip forward into the next family get-together. And uh, um, there will be no, no moving forward. Will so if, sorry. So are. if if you don't tell them that you don't like, if you don't sort of make it official that you want to take a break from the family for right. X or whatever, if you don't yep. make it official, then you will say yes to the next family gathering. Yes, and they already want. My mother already wants to come and visit me in July. Um, so I I think the choice would be either to prevent that from happening, or. If that happens, then it could very well blow up. Um, and, you know, I would end up, there would be all the anger thing again, and then it would be terminated at that point, which would be even more messy. Right. right. So, and how I do just, you, how do you see, um, how do you see having the conversation? Like there's lots of ways you're going to email or a phone or whatever. I would not email it. I would not email it because I can't stand the idea of waiting to see if I get an email back. And well, no, because you, you email it and then you block the email addresses, right? Yeah. Well, yes. But then I've tried doing that before and you always end up seeing it in your junk folder or something and well, somehow you become aware of it. Um, yeah, I mean, technically, and again, I'm not saying what you should or shouldn't like do, obviously, right? You can uh, <laughs> you just have it deleted from the server. You never you never see it, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. No, I don't think I could do it by email. Okay, no problem. I'm just, again, I'm just keeping all the options open because I want, you know, what the most important thing in my opinion is that whatever you do is a choice, right? And And if you just have a way of doing it that just seems right, but is not necessarily something that um, you have... Uh, uh, looked at all the options, then it won't be it won't be quite as firm a thing. 
It won't be quite as what, sorry? As, it won't be quite as firm a stand if you haven't explored the options and other ways of doing it. Like if you settled on this as the best way, and it sounds like it's perfectly fine, then then you know you, you, you would just go in more strong if you've looked at all the options. Okay, I understand. And do you have any thoughts or ideas about what you're going to say? I um um I think I would I would go with the conversation that you um suggested in the last five minutes of the uh I think it was the Joy of Anger one or maybe it was the No, it wasn't the Joy of Anger one, it was the um there was one a little a few dozen podcasts later about some guy who was struggling with his mother who was very needy and uh, the last five minutes of the podcast you basically gave a here's what I would say to her and, and there was a a speech about um, you uh, if you go into therapy um, then uh, you can send me brief emails about your progress don't talk about us but just talk about the progress you're making and then maybe at the end of six months um, uh, we'll see what progress has been made and then we may be able to continue from that point on. So I, I quite liked that approach and and I actually thought that there's a chance my mother might go for that one. Actually, I could see her wanting to do that. Do you think you mean um, go, go for therapy? Yeah, but I think that if it was just my mum, she might do that because of the fear of, hu of social humiliation would be a sufficient driver to make her do that. But I think my dad would try to stop her and he would tell her that it was my problem and that she should, um, um, that it wouldn't be worth it, you know, in his usual phrase. Right. But what would you say would be the reasons um, why, because she'd say, well, why, you know, why would, why would you want to take a break or whatever, right? Oh, well, actually, that would be quite easier. I would just say, well, I, I, because I don't like you and I don't feel like that the, this uh, relationship is helping me um, because uh, every time I express something that's really important to me, um, you uh, say something that makes me feel really uncomfortable and unhappy. And I've spent 20 years uh, trying to improve the situation and it hasn't improved and I don't think it ever will improve because um, somehow it always ends up being my fault and therefore I think it's uh, necessary for me to take a break while I go into therapy myself and um, and also you know I, I, I'm looking to go on this course to train as a therapist. So I'm looking to get my own self-understanding via that route as well as by being in therapy as well. Right. Oh, great. Uh, great. Um, I, I would make one tiny suggestion. Um, yeah. You know, if, if, if you're truly done with someone, then yep. uh, usually uh, th there's not a need to, um, uh, to, to present complaints, if that makes sense. I know, I understand that, and I was trying not to. <laughs> no, no, and I, I and I, 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 I don't, I don't. You, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to give you a script, please. I, I, I really don't, right? Because this is such a personal process. I'm just giving you some crap feedback. Not that what you're saying is crap, but that it may be complete crap feedback. But 
if you decide, I mean, to take a silly example, like if you decide not to go to a restaurant, you don't have to explain to them why you're not going to the restaurant. You just don't go to the restaurant, right? Right. Like they, they serve you, I don't know, booger sandwich, right? <laughs> or something like that. And, like, and they say, why aren't you coming back? It's like, well, I don't like the food. I don't know, whatever, right? Uh, it doesn't have to be any particular detail because what that does is it does two things. One is that it, it it's very provocative to people who are dangerous to you. Yeah. Right? Like you don't you don't poke the bear with a stick, right? I mean, in my again, this is, this is my opinion, right? Um, so it's very provocative to people who have been violent and aggressive with you in the past. And I'm not saying that they would do that in the present, but still it is provocative to uh, to people who are dangerous, right? Yeah, because you're basically bringing all that kind of stuff, right? So, so that would be my sort of first uh, first thought about it. The second is that I can guarantee you that it is going to provoke a debate. Right. Yeah, I understand. And that, uh, and of course, a debate is is totally fine, right? Uh, but. Uh, um, uh, if if you if you want to debate with someone, then you're not uh, you're not done with them, right? And and that's that's a process, right? And it's funny because I knew that as soon as I started talking, but I couldn't help myself. No, no, <laughs> I I, I know. Look, I I thought you kidding me. I mean, the number of times I I'm like Carlito's way, you know. Every time I try to get out, they pull me back in, right? Uh, with trolls, with with people who are destructive. It is it is my freaking curse uh, uh, to to be pulled into this as well, and it is. Uh, natural and inevitable, and maybe that's what you need to do, right? But but my suggestion is that if you feel the need to get them to understand that you have legitimate complaints, then you're not yes. done with the relationship. Yeah. Well, I've spent long time trying to get them to understand that I have a legitimate complaint and failed miserably. Yes. Yes. Of course. Of course. Right. That makes that makes sense. Right. Because. Um, if if they're sadistical people, and I'm not saying they are or aren't, but if they are, then the fact that you have complaints is is a plus for them, right? The fact that that you're hurt is is you know it's certainly not a negative, right? Mm. So that that's just a thought that I have, right? That that my the the way that that uh, I ended up doing it, and of course I did it a number of different times, but. Uh, you know, I need to, I need to just, I need to work on some stuff and I, I need to take a break on the family so that I can just work on my own stuff. I'm going to take some therapy. I'm going to just, you know, work out stuff because, you know, and I don't feel like I'm contributing much to the family and I don't, you know, I, I just mm. need to take a break and I, I don't know what's to do with the family, what's to do with me. So I just need to sort of take a break and try and get my head screwed on. Right. And, uh, so you would suggest that she should go into therapy. You would just ignore that completely. Yeah, I mean, look, your your mother, in my opinion, is not a candidate for therapy. <laughs> like, okay. not. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Right. You know, that's less like asking, you know, an eighty-year-old asthmatic to 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 try out for so you think you can dance, right? Well, she does always say, you know, in her reaction to you know her very irrational view on homosexuality that you know she just believes it's wrong. That was the way she's brought up, and she's not going to change now. And no amount of rational argument is ever going to change that point of view. And I don't even know where that comes from. But uh, um, well, it but comes from the Bible. I, but, well, but she no, doesn't I, really. But, uh, so she's she very clear about not, not changing, right? And She's very in, clear about not changing. That yeah, and 
in my experience, and again, in my very strong opinion, though, of course, I cannot prove it, um, if you do enough evil, you simply can't change. Like, if you do enough wrong, and, and if the wrong that you do is irredeemable, in other words, if it can't be undone, if no restitution is possible, right? So let's say uh, I steal your watch. Well, I can buy you a new watch and give you 200 quid for your trouble, right? And you sort of say, okay, well, we're even, right? You did me wrong. You've done restitution. You've taken a few bullets or whatever, right? If I, if I'm your friend and I say something mean to you, I can apologize and I can figure out why and tell you why and it's not your fault, and right? So, I mean, ethics is not about perfection, right? Any more than health is about never eating a candy bar, right? But mm-hmm. if you do enough wrong that it can no longer be undone, yes, then change is no longer possible because what you will discover is that you have done irredeemable wrong, that you are an evil person. And uh, I don't know what the next stop after that is because those people never go there, right? Maybe it's throwing yourself off a cliff. I don't know. But if yeah. you have... And, and harming a child in a conscious, consistent, significant, long-standing way is uh, it's completely irredeemable because it can't be undone. You can't ever have the childhood that you should have had. You can't ever have a happy childhood. You can't ever be the person. If she ever saw herself from my perspective, then she wouldn't be able to look herself in the mirror, I suppose. Well, she wouldn't be able to get out of bed. She, I mean, she would have, her whole life would just be, have been a destructive, vile and evil ruin. Right. And so she's not, she's not going to go to therapy. She's, you know, they just, people don't, don't, people who harm children repeatedly simply do not go to therapy unless it's court ordered or whatever, right? And, and then it doesn't work, right? Because therapy is about motivation and a desire mm-hmm. to live a happier life. And uh, you, n- self-knowledge to you will lead to happiness. Self-knowledge for your mother, uh, not so much, right? Not so much, no. So... Uh, so I think that dangling that out there is kind of manipulative because it's really not a realistic option. Again, in my opinion, you may disagree with me and you could be completely right. Just so I mean, this is just my opinion, right? But, but I think that dangling that out there is kind of a, a trick. It's kind of a manipulation because uh, if your mother did, I mean, the worst thing that would be for your mother to say, fine, I'm going to go to therapy and I'm going to contact you in six months. How would you feel if she said that? I would be, um, I wouldn't want that to happen. Right, so you don't hold something out when, as well, here's the, here's the conditions under which we will see each other again, when you absolutely do not want those conditions to be fulfilled because it will just make things worse. So I wouldn't hold that, that kind of stuff out. Okay. Unless sense. you have a condition under which you would, and then, you know, because that's, that's around the sort of basic honesty, most of all with yourself, right? Yeah. Now, I, I can't remember the particulars about the guy in the podcast that you mentioned, but... Uh, I don't believe, I think his mother was more needy and dependent, but I don't recall that there being a history of significant physical and emotional abuse. No. So, and, and, and just to make it plain, my, my mother was never physically violent towards me. She always let my dad do it. So I just wanted to make that clear. I don't know why I'm defending her, but <laughs> seems somehow appropriate. Well, um, but that's because your dad did it for her, right? Right. Right, because she said X. Y and Z to your dad, knowing exactly what he was going to go and do. So to me, she's as responsible. Yeah. Yes, that's true. I mean, if I bring home a dog that attacks my child and don't protect my child from that dog and then further provoke that dog and lock it in the room with the child, I'm the one who's abusing too, right? Yes. 
So, uh, and I'm, I just, you know, if, you, if you're going to take the step and, uh, you know, for what it's worth, it seems like a wise step to me, to say the least. But if, if you're going to take the step, I would uh, t- put it all on you. Give them as many outs as possible to think of you as just a bad person who needs to go and get fixed. Whatever it takes to, to, yeah. to, uh, to get out, right? Okay. When, uh, you, you know, if you're trying to get out of prison, you lie to the guard, you, you don't complain about the food, you just, you know, whatever it takes to, to get out and have them miss you as little as possible and feel as little as possible to, uh, to uh, come after you because of vengeance or provocation. I, uh, uh, that would be my, my suggestion, particularly because there has been a history of, uh, of violence. Yes, when you put it like that, it, it does make perfect sense that I should just... Uh take the blame on myself one last time or pretend to and, yeah yeah uh, i mean whatever whatever it takes to to, to, to keep them away um i think is really important and i don't think you want them to to get the complaints have them sit in their heads and then have their emotional reaction to those complaints which will create volatility uh yeah. and an anger and a desire to pursue that would not be uh, my my suggestion right i mean to take a silly example and it's only silly because the violence for you is in the past um, you know, if, if wife has an abusive husband, uh, the, the, you pack and leave while he's away, right? You don't, you don't, you never right. confront him. You never confront right. complaints. You never confront him with his, his actions and his behavior. You simply get out and get to protection and, uh, you don't leave him with, uh, you don't get into a fight, right? Right. And, um, that would, that would save me from backlash from my brother as well who i don't really want to defoo unless he takes their side and comes after me right yeah i mean the, the backlash is really important you know when you're when you're truly done you'll just do whatever it takes to to put it in the past right to get it behind you and uh, so that's why i suggest not raising the complaints because and and if you i'm not saying don't raise the complaint if you genuinely have these complaints that you need to raise and you can do it in a safe environment then i would suggest doing it so that you can get some closure but if you're just bringing those things up in order to explain why you're leaving, then you're trying to reason yeah. with abusive people, which is not going to work. No, now, now, now you say it. I, I, I see no reason to, to raise those complaints at all. I don't think that would be productive. No, I think quite the opposite. So I just, I just wanted to mention that because you know we may not talk before, uh, before you, uh, you do it. So I just wanted to Thanks. give you that, that feedback and that suggestion to try and make uh, the aftermath as, as stress-free as possible. Thank you. You're welcome. And is there, I mean, I don't want to take up your entire evening because I know it's late where you are. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? Uh, uh, how are you doing just now? Um, <laughs> no, I feel, I feel reassured. I feel quite confident. I, I feel like there's a very clear path that right. I am determined to take. <laughs> Great. I'm very, and, very glad uh, for that. And you'll keep us posted about what's happening and how's it going? Of course I will, yes. Fantastic. <laughs> and uh, I really just wanted to thank you for, you know, taking the time, staying up, uh, calling from the belly of the uh, whale <laughs> to, uh, to, to keep us informed. And I, I think you just did wonderfully in the call. I know that it's, it's stressful. Uh, I mean, people always say that they're stressed up front or nervous or anxious and they very quickly seem to be relaxed, which is good. I mean, that's sort of the point, right? Um, so I really do appreciate your, your honesty and your openness in this call. I think it was just fantastic. Let someone else have a turn. 
I'm uh, not sure that anyone's going to want to follow that particular call, but uh, <laughs> I could uh, ask if anybody else wants to to add anything uh, uh, now. Now, uh, now would be the time. Yeah, that's hard to follow. Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's uh, it's not not a show, but but I know what you mean, right? It's like uh, you know, I'm having a problem with my brother boss, right? I mean, so. Uh, so we can, uh, I mean, if, if people have yearning burnings, well, just give me a shout. Unless you I want a, uh, a very abstract, fun economics question. <laughs> I think I think that's a good idea, but maybe you and I can do an, another call about that um, because okay. it just might be a bit disorienting, and I think it would probably be better for people to process what was just talked about with uh, with the fine lady from, from Wales. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, so much, uh, and thank you again to the the caller. Um, you know, keep us posted. Best of luck. Uh, I think it's a, it's a healthy decision, um, and I certainly do admire your courage in standing up for this kind of stuff. And uh, please uh, do keep us posted, and have yourself a wonderful, wonderful week, everyone. And uh, I'm going to set up a call um, just by the by, because I'm going to be debating with Michael Batnarek, who is a very well versed constitutional scholar. And uh, I have developed a series of, uh, of, of uh, arguments that uh, I would like to sort of preview with some people. So if you're interested in that, just shoot me an email and we'll have a call and I'll step through it. And uh, if you know something about the Constitution, that would be even better so I can get a sense of uh, what might be coming my way. So thank you everyone so much. Have an absolutely wonderful week. I appreciate your generosity, your kindness, your support. As always, you magnificent bastards. And uh, I will talk to you soon. <laughs>